There are a number of very important elements of Judaism that we're supposed to remember on a consistent basis. The question is, why out of all of them is the mitzvah to remember Amalek, the one that is given its own Shabbos with its own name, Pashas Zachar? What is the spiritual message through the generations from what would appear to be a mitzvah that can only be performed under the most unique circumstances and probably not in our current situation? So when you get to the Pashas Zachar, with regards to the fact that there is a, a custom, or more than a custom, a takana that we read, Pasha Zohar, Zohar, Esa, Shasolach, Amolek, Pasha Skisaitza, that says, remember what Amolek did to you. When do we read it? B'Shabbos Kodem Purim, before the, the Shabbos prior to Purim. So, Hikshib Magen Avram, the classic halachic authority, the Magen Avram, has a question. We find that there are many things that we are instructed to remember. Like for example, the things that we're supposed to remember in the brochas running up to and during the Shema, namely, Matan Torah, we're supposed to remember daily the giving of the Torah, which is what we're talking about. Maisa Miriam, the story of Miriam, Miriam speaking badly about Moshe Rabbeinu. Shabbos, to remember Shabbos, Maisa Ha'egel, the fact that we made an Egel Azov. So all of these things are important. We're supposed to read them or remember them daily. Asks the Magen How come it is that only Parashas Zohar, only Amalek gets his own parasha and his own Shabbos as opposed to all the other things that we're supposed to remember? And then he answers, Matan Torah already has a time allocated for it. Shabbos has a day every single week allocated, obviously, to remember Shabbos. And then Omaisa Miriam, Omaisa Egel, the story of Miriam's so-called Lashon Hora, and the Egel Hazov, don't get something specific on the calendar because they are poor behavior of the Jewish people. They're, they're stories that we're not prou- proud of, so we don't allocate them airspace. But the Rebbe says the answer doesn't seem to be a sufficient answer for a few really interesting reasons. First of all, if you, are, if you want to say that these special occasions or, or incidents have dates associated with them to remember them, so does Amalek. That's exactly what, Amor, what Purim is. Purim is all about remembering Amalek and how we destroy Amalek. What we read in Shul on Purim morning is in the end of Parshas B'Shalach, the story of the original attack and ambush of Amalek. And not only that, but not only do we read about it, the Gemara Megillah tells us why do we read Pasha Zohar on the Shabbos before Purim? So we don't have a story where we mention or we, we do the act of eradicating Amalek, which is what Purim is all about, before we remember the fact that we have to get rid of Amalek. Which means basically that Purim is putting the remembrance into action. So if you already have the action, why do you need the remembrance? So why do we have to have a special takana that says we have to read a special parasha that is about Amalek and become such a big deal that we rename the entire Shabbos, Shabbos parasha Zohar because of it. So obviously that would imply that the idea of Pasha Zohar is not exactly like the Mogan Avram said because there isn't a time ready allocated for remembering Amalek because apparently there is called Purim 
אלא מפני שיש ליסטרין ואין מיוחד בזכירס מייסא המולק לגבי שאר הזכירויס, there has to be something unique and different about remembering המולק as compared to the other things that we're supposed to remember in Judaism, and we have to understand what that is, וצריך להבין מהו העניין המיוחד בזכירס מייסא המולק, what is so unique about remembering המולק that sets it apart from all the other things for which we have a dedicated time to remember, שלא נמצא בשאר הזכירויס. What do we find with regards to Amalek that we don't find with Shabbos or the Egel Azov or Matan Torah, etc.? Shemitam ze nikva kriya miyuchedes lizchira zoidafka, which would be the precipitating factor for the, the, having a Shabbos, especially for Amalek and not for anything else. Velecha'ira adarabba. In fact, the logic would dictate that the opposite should happen. Shar azechirois, the other things on the list, heminyonim klolim, are very important general concepts in Judaism. Ba'anhogas ish yisrael of cholais v'chomokim, that apply to all people in a very broad sense at all times. So they really should get special airtime. For example, maimad harasinai, remembering the fact that we stood at harasinai, matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, You don't get more fundamental than that. Harei hu yisrael kol ha-Torah mitzvah that is the basis of the whole of Judaism. It surely, obviously, should have its own special time, which it does. It has Shavuos. Shabbos, himina mitzvah, saklolios. Shabbos, as we know, is a very encompassing mitzvah that really represents what it is to be Jewish. If a person is Jewish, Shabbos is one of the hallmarks of Judaism. And not only that, Shabbos has impact not only on the 24 hours dedicated to Shabbos, but it also influences the entire week prior to and following Shabbos. And then on the flip side, remembering the Egel Azov, that's to remind us not to go against the very core principles of Judaism, that there's one God and we don't have idols. In addition to that, the cave of Shabiyom Pokti, Fokati, Gomer, sing as the Pasuk tells us that any time that Hashem takes us to task over any Avera that we've done, it will always be flavored or tainted by the story of the Egel Azov. Then actually, the Egel Azov, remembering it on a daily basis, is a reminder to stay away from all Averos across the spectrum. That we should not be in a position where the Ebeshter, so to speak, recalls our rebellions or sins. Part of that would also be a reminder to be careful to do what Hashem wants us to do so that there's nothing missing which may attract negative attention and remind Hashem of the golden calf, remind us of the golden calf. And likewise, um, lastly, the story of Miriam, which you could argue is really the story of an individual, which did not have an impact on the entire nation and certainly not for the long term other than the fact that they waited a few days for her to recover from Tsaras. Still, it still has a very large message which applies to every Jewish person how careful you have to be about Lashon Hora. Miriam, it's her younger brother. She didn't have bad intentions. She was the one who literally saved his life and still, look what happened. So how much more so should we be careful about Lashon Hora? When you consider that Lashon Hora is one of the worst Averis possible, as the Gemara tells us, that Lashon Hora expands into an, into an Avera that is almost akin to the three cardinal sins of idolatry, adultery, and murder. And besides being one of the most 
harsh of the Averis, it's also one of the most difficult Averis to avoid, to the extent the Gemara tells us it's one of the Averis that people don't avoid on a daily basis. So we need that reminder. So all of those things, Shabbos, Matan Torah, the Eagle, Miriam, we understand why they should be given special attention because they have such broad, far-reaching lessons and, and, and influence. On the other hand, to remember, the story of Amalek is a single mitzvah, which does not seem to have any personal lesson for any individual Jew, and certainly does not seem to have a broad, overarching message for Jewish people. Why does it get its own Shabbos? Shabbos parashah zocher. And the truth is the question and the surprise that we should have around this is much greater when you consider that actually remembering Amalek is not the end and the fulfillment of the mitzvah. It is to precipitate ridding the world of Amalek. Like the Psukim say, after it says, remember what Amalek did to you, then it says, When Eibshter gets rid of your enemies, then eradicate Amalek and any memory and vestige of Amalek from the earth. The Rambam puts it succinctly. They instructed us to remember what Amalek did to us, ambushing us on the way out of Egypt. So therefore to hate Amalek. Constantly. And therefore we should inspire our people to go to war against Amalek. The goal is the war and eradication of Amalek, not just the simple remembering. Now, the reality is, nowadays, we cannot practically eradicate Amalek. For two reasons. Firstly, you'd have to have the whole Jewish people living in Israel. Without any threats from the outside, as the Pesach says. When the Ebeshter has effectively removed the threat of all of your enemies. That's not the case right now. And secondly, even if we were living in absolute peace on our land in Israel, we still would not be in a position to fulfill this mitzvah of eradicating Amalek for practical reasons. Because Sancherev already totally confused which nations are which. And today, any individual we meet, we have to assume belongs to all the other nations and not to Amalek. So therefore, that would seem to imply the concept of remembering Amalek in today's circumstances doesn't seem to be such a practical mitzvah that actually has an impact in our lives. And yet we allocated a special Shabbos with a special reading to remember Amalek, even though apparently we can't really do anything about it and truly fulfill the objective of remembering. Why? So in order to understand that, we have to first consider Do we really truly understand what the mitzvah is to remember Amalek? Is it just remember there were these people called Amalek? Is that it? Because when you think about it, as we've already established, really the purpose of remembering Amalek is to remember to eradicate Amalek. So if that's the case, 
So you got to ask yourself, why should there be a mitzvah today to read Pasha Zachar and to say the Sheikh Zechiris and remember Amalek if practically, according to Torah, today we cannot do anything with that information. We cannot eradicate Amalek. So have we really understood what the purpose of remembering Amalek is? If it's just to get us to Poyal to practically eradicate, shouldn't be a mitzvah today. Number two, based. Why does it actually need its own instruction? Remember what Amalek did to you. And to paraphrase the Rambam, the purpose of that would be that that will arouse people with a, a, an enthusiasm to fight against Amalek. Why isn't it not enough just to say, there's a mitzvah, eradicate Amalek. Like any other mitzvah, we don't get told generally, remember the mitzvah and then do the mitzvah. Let's use an example that's really similar. There's an instruction in the Torah not to leave any of the seven Canaanite nations alive when they conquered Eretz Yisrael. The Torah doesn't give an additional preceding mitzvah. Remember how bad and uh, amoral the Canaanites were. Even though the Torah does tell us that they were the most immoral of the immoral, but doesn't tell us we have to remember that. And we're not even told that that will help us to get to be enthusiastic about eradicating the Canaanites. So we don't need it there. Why do we need it by Amalek? That must indicate to us that yes, it is true that the ultimate goal of remembering Amalek and what Amalek did to us is to get us to the point that we eradicate them. There has to be a value in remembering Amalek in and of itself and we have to work out what that value is. And you see this most clearly expressed in the Rambam. That's why the Rambam, and others who codify the mitzvahs, they qualify the mitzvah to remember Amalek as one mitzvah and the mitzvah to eradicate Amalek as an independent mitzvah, each defined by its own parameters. For example, for example, eradicating Amalek is a mitzvah for the community at large or or specifically it's a mitzvah for the king representing the community but not for you and I, the individuals. And as we've mentioned, there are certain prerequisites before you can do the mitzvah to eradicate Amalek. Like entering Israel first and others. Whereas the mitzvah to remember what Amalek did, that is a mitzvah for you and I. It's a mitzvah at all times, in Israel or not. All places and all times. That tells you that the mitzvah to remember Amalek is not identical to the mitzvah to eradicate Amalek. We need to explore it further. What is the purpose of this mitzvah? And whatever we achieve by remembering Amalek's actions, is such a foundational principle in Judaism, as we'll clarify a little later, it is what makes it even more central to Judaism, even more than the other things on the list of the six items we have to remember daily. 
How could that be? Vahabir Baseh, to explain that, let's first understand what is Amalek? What does Amalek represent other than the obvious, the first nation to have the chutzpah to attack us? Sinyonoi shal Amalek, who the concept of Amalek is that Amalek is Yodea Esri Boinoi Miskaven Limroid Boy. Amalek knows who the master is, then knows, acknowledges God, and Dafka rebels against Hashem. Velochem, for that reason. But tell him, Yuchal Odem Lekayem Esmechias Amalek, Ba Amalek Ipshutoi. So therefore, before you can actually go to the physical nation of Amalek, attack them and eradicate them, first a person has to be sure that within that person themselves, there's no personal Amalek. If you haven't dealt with your personal Amalek, you don't have the wherewithal to attack the nation of Amalek. What's the internal Amalek? The thought of acknowledging Hashem and rebelling against Hashem. Even if it's a very mild version, which we'll still describe. So that's the mitzvah to remember Amalek. It's not just that you have to step one, remember Amalek and the terrible things they did, so that step two, you'll be able to attack them. Literally attack and eradicate them. It's not even remember something to avoid doing something else that's bad. Like for example, remember what Miriam did so that you'll be careful not to speak Lashon Hara. On the internal level, remembering and being aware of Amalek is what eradicates Amalek from within the person. In other words, it is most likely that internally we have an Amalek voice. It's part of the default reality of the human. What is the default Amalek voice? It's a part of us that tries to encourage us to rebel against Hashem. When a person applies the mitzvah of remembering Amalek appropriately, that cancels and neutralizes that Amalek voice of rebellion that's playing in the background in the person's mind. That completely neutralizes any inclination that we'd have to dafka rebel against Hashem. That would explain why we have a special time with a special reading in the Torah about remembering Amalek. Because Torah decides the reality of the world. Like the famous Yerushalmi where the Gemara explains that things said in the Torah affect the actual physical nature of the world. So if you read about remembering Amalek in Torah, by taking the concept that I should conceptually remember Amalek and plugging that into an activity of Torah learning, laning a parasha of Zohar, because Torah changes the nature of reality, having that information read in the Torah will change the nature of our reality and our Amalek voice will be silenced.
וזהו גם אחד הביאורים בזה שכריס פרשה זוכר היא לדס רב הפוסקים מצווה ססי מן התורה. That would explain why just about everybody says that פרשה זוכר is the Torah reading that has to be heard as mandated by the Torah itself. Now, if we understand the difference between something that is mandated by Torah and something that was introduced by the Rabbonon, we'll appreciate the impact that Parsha Zohar has on our lives. who One of the massive advantages over a Torah, something instructed by the Torah versus something initiated by the Rabbonon is as follows. Anything that is mandated by the Torah impacts the world in a much more profound way than something which is enacted by the Rabbana. We're going to explain a very uh, well-explained ex- uh, well concept elsewhere. The Rebbe goes into in great detail elsewhere. But here's just an akuda of effectively how mitzvahs der Isa work versus how mitzvahs der Rabbana work. Something which is explained in halacha books as well. The distinction between a mitzvah that is from the Torah and a mitzvah enacted by the Rabbonin. If the Torah says something is forbidden, it means that item is forbidden, which means that item becomes a despicable item. Chazer treif. Whereas halachically, there are quite a number of opinions who say if the Rabbonon say something is forbidden, they don't mean the item is fundamentally forbidden. It means it is forbidden to the person. A Jewish person may not have that item. Sachaza is fundamentally treif, uh, um, chicken and milk, you're not allowed to have. It's not fundamentally bad. It is a barrier that the Rabbanon have put between the person and the item rather than a definition of the item as bad. So Torah affects the world, actually changes the DNA of items. Now we do know, of course, that there's also an advantage over rabbinic mitzvahs, that rabbinic mitzvahs have over um, Torah mitzvahs. Like the famous saying of Chazal, that the says, I almost have more nachas from the rabbinic mitzvahs than from those mitzvahs I mandated myself. That advantage is something that affects the practitioner, the person. Because if the rabbis added more mitzvahs or more restrictions, what are they basically showing? They're showing how enthusiastic we as a Jewish community are to be Hashem servants. We'll even do more than required. It's because we're enthusiastic that we, like the famous marshal of the, of the community who says to the king, we want you as our king, tell us what to do. And then not only do we listen to what the king tells us and says these are the laws that you have to follow, we add our own things to show even greater dedication to the king. Or alternatively, we create buffers around those decrees from the king to protect them, mukta, to protect Shabbos, etc. It shows our enthusiasm, not a change of the world, but an upgrade of us. A mitzvah doraisa changes the DNA of the world. Void could take it a step further. A mitzvah doraisa mechashapul asim boilemi betoykef yoiser. Because a mitzvah mandated by the Torah 
has such a powerful impact on the physical world. You actually don't notice that we're only doing this thing because Hashem said so. Because there's an effect. The world is impacted, elevated. It becomes a channel of brocha through this mitzvah. And that's That kind of blurs the fact that we're doing it only because Hashem said so. No, we're doing it because it actually makes the world a better place. And that's attractive. Whereas, if you're doing a mitzvah which is introduced by the Rabbanon, you don't really see, oh, because the rabbi said X, that's going to make the world a better place or bring so much brocha into our lives. So in that case, you can see that the person will fulfill the mitzvahs introduced by the rabbis, not because of the great spiritual upliftment of the world, but rather because I'm a dedicated citizen and I want to do what the Ebishter says. So the greatness of a rabbinic mitzvah is the maturity of the person. I want to do what Hashem says. For the purposes of our, con- of our conversation, we're looking at the power and value of a mitzvah mandated by the Torah because it changes the physical item. If I'm talking about the physical item, what a mitzvah should do to impact and transform the world, if I'm doing a mitzvah that is written about and instructed in the Torah, then it has the full force of the infinite Torah behind it to impact the world in a way that rabbinic mitzvahs cannot do. So if something is in the Torah, it's going to change the nature of the world. Therefore, Kriyas Parashat Zohar the fact that we should read Parsha Zohar, he mitzvah sasemin ha Torah. The value of this is because it's mandated by the Torah. It's part of the fulfillment of the mitzvah of remembering Amalek, Parashas Zohar. And because it's mandated by the Torah, that power of being mandated by Torah, it uplifts the mitzvah to actually eradicate at least the internal Amalek, the personal Amalek. So, now, the fact that we've established that the mitzvah to remember as opposed to destroy Amalek applies to all people at all times in all places, then implies that whatever we're concerned about with regards to Amalek, which we're going to mitigate by remembering Amalek, that's something we have to be alert to all the time. Obviously, we will never say, Nobody is casting, God forbid, aspersions on the Jewish people and saying, we need to watch them carefully that they don't choose deliberately to rebel against Hashem knowingly. We're not worried about that. But there's a much milder version of Amalek that's much more subtle and not so easy to identify and therefore to avoid. So we've got to be reminded. It's time bearing in mind that anything that is subtly bad, if it's not contained and it's not treated, can develop into something that is really malignant. So if a person has a subtle rebellion against Hashem and it's not treated, it could turn into, God forbid, full-blown rebellion. Therefore, we've got to remember Amalek daily. 
So what's the subtle version? Vahabir. We do know that at the end of the story of the original attack of Amalek, the Torah tells us that Hashem takes an oath that there'll always be a war against Amalek, and it says, Case Ka. Amr Chazal. Debish's name is broken apart from Yudke Vavke, it's just Yudke, and it cannot be intact again until we eradicate Amalek's name. Hainu meaning. As long as Amalek is around, the Abishta's name is not complete. All there is is Yudke. Which implies that Amalek is the antithesis of or the blockage to the name Vavke or the Vavke of Hashem's name. Now, at first glance, what's the big deal? First of all, if Amalek's intention is to rebel against Hashem, if that's the case, my time, then why is he only fighting against the full name? Surely, if Amalek wants to rebel against Hashem, the rebellion should be against Hashem, not just against part of Hashem's name. Also, why attack the letters Vavke and not the letters Yudke, which are earlier and therefore more advanced as expressions of godliness? And it's really strange because Amalek seems to be a tremendous failure at interfering with Hashem's name because we still have Yudke, which is one of Hashem's names. So what is Amalek really trying to do? Or, put it differently, what is the subtle version of rebellion against Hashem? The impact of the full name Yudke Vavke on a Jewish person meaning Yudke Vavke actually translates into the structure of the human being, right? Adam means I am similar to the Ebishter. So Yudke Vavke is, so to speak, the structure of Hashem's name. It is reflected in the structure of the human being. So it goes like this, Yud Hei is Chochmah Bina Seichel. Throughout Chassidus, we talk about Yud as Chochmah, Hei as Bina, and that represents the intellectual strength of the person. Vav, which is both a letter of conjunction and it is a letter that represents six. That's Midosh of Torah. That represents the six Midos of a person and learning Torah. Hey, the final hey, that's Dibur Umaise Mitzvahs. That represents translating the emotion and the things you learn theoretically in Torah into what you actually talk about and you actually follow in behavior. And that's what, that's what Amalek is trying to destroy. Amalek's primary war is against the practice of Judaism. The fact that a Jew will be an intellectual and know things in Judaism, even deep things, doesn't bother Amalek so much. Okay, so a Jew will know that God exists. Beautiful, no problem. And the Jew will have a, an understanding, even a very advanced understanding of godliness. The primary concern that Amalek has is what you understand and learn shouldn't excite you. Because if it does excite you, you'll behave accordingly. You'll do those things. Amalek doesn't want us doing those things. But 
in a certain regard, this threat is a far more serious threat than somebody who's outright, so to speak, to say, there's no God. Chazal emphasized this by saying, this is Amalek who knows who the Ebesht is. He's aware of the Ebesht. And still Dafka intends to rebel against Hashem. Why? Because that's exactly what Amalek wants. Have all the theoretical knowledge in the world and never allow it to cross the threshold into feelings and action. This element of Amalek, the fact that Amalek could have consciousness of Hashem with no sense of responsibility or commitment to Hashem. Especially, you know, not the concept that if I accept responsibility to Hashem, I have to do things, follow Torah Mitzvahs. That is the most subtle form of rejection of or rebellion against Hashem is not to have Kabbalah dedication to Hashem. And that's our Everybody's got to be super cautious of that. Because no matter how advanced a person is in their learning, in their davening, in their commitment to Hashem, they could miss this point. They could forget about the Kabbalah soul. Massive Talmud Chochem, forgetting about Kabbalah soul. That's why chronologically, when does Amalek attack? When the Jews are on the way out of Mitzrayim, before they get to receive the Torah. Seeing as we know every detail of every story, especially stories that are recorded in the Torah, is divine providence. Move on. We can understand the fact that the physical attack of Amalek preceded the giving of Torah is because what Amalek spiritually represents is to try paralyze what Matan Torah is supposed to achieve, which is not the gift of knowledge alone. The great innovation of Matan Torah is that Torah will not remain an abstract spiritual discipline. Torah should not be relegated only to the spiritual realms. The goal of Matan Torah was that Torah and its wisdom, its infinite wisdom, should descend into the physical reality, which means that we should learn Torah in a way that is practical and translated into behavior. To the extent that Chazal tell us that the most important thing is the action. And that's the famous protest that the Malachim made against Moshe Rabbeinu when he came to receive the Torah. You've got this incredible treasure. You're going to give it to humans? No! Rather, Hashem, retain your glory here in the heavens. Their argument was, Torah is as elevated and spiritual as you will ever get. Therefore, the most appropriate place to give the Torah is in heaven. Not only to keep it in a spiritual reality, but in a higher spiritual reality, because humans also have a spiritual side to them, like the human intellect. So 
funnily enough, the angels are almost talking Amalek language, if you really think about it. When you can neutralize Amalek's perspective, which means we allow what's going on in our mind in terms of understanding of Yiddishkeit to dafka translate into behavior. And then the name of Hashem is complete because the Vavke is part of the process. Then we can rebuff the angels and their complaint that Torah should remain in heaven. And Torah actually belongs, Dafka here on earth. And that's why remembering Amalek is such a big deal. And why it takes precedence over all the other things to remember, including Matan Torah. Because ridding ourselves of Amalek thinking is the most important precursor to actually being able to receive and apply Torah. Long before a person can receive and grasp and personalize Torah, first thing you've got to do is cancel Amalek. Get rid of that blockage between what we know and how we live it. Fulfilling this mitzvah during the time of Golos, remembering Amalek. And as we've learned, when we remember and read about Amalek in the Torah, it eliminates the internal Amalek. That will hasten the time where we can literally eradicate Amalek in a very physical way here on earth, which could only happen once we have a king appointed, which will be Melech HaMashiach. He'll be able to determine who actually is Amalek and then go to war, fighting Hashem's wars, as, as the Rambam tells us. For example, and most importantly, the one war that the Torah says Hashem has, which is the war against Amalek, and be victorious, and then he can build a third base Amigdash, and all of that should happen in Mehrevi Amenu Mamish, literally now.